0: Part of the philosophy that I I promote, and I think it's it's scriptural, is that the church is to be a body, all right? The church isn't local, church means that we call ourselves brothers and sisters in the Lord, and we should be, and and, A functioning body that looks out for one another, helps one another, encourages one another, prays for one another, um, supporting one another in in any way that we possibly can. Um, And part of that is—I don't agree. I think it was uh, Hillary Clinton that says it takes a takes a village to raise a family or have a family or, huh? What is it? it? Takes a village to raise a child. Is that how it's... I I, I just remember it was goofy. and uh, But the church is there uh, in uh, a Bible-believing church, one that preaches the gospel and says salvation is only through the finished work of the Lord Jesus. I'm defining what a church is because a lot of churches out there are not, in a sense, you know, promoting... I don't know whether you anybody's followed the news. <clears throat> the Pope just came out just recently and said that um, anybody that's basically is moral has some kind of moral. Uh, whether you believe in God or not, it's not important as long as you're moral, good person. Um, now, not bear in mind, I never did believe that they had the truth, but he just come right out and said it. That really, it's he's just bringing more into the camp and. So I define what a church is that we know that salvation is solely the work of the Lord Jesus and your faith and his finished work and responding in a spirit of repentance and surrendering your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the vitality of, you know, your spiritual life and even helping with the nurturing and encouragement of your children comes from the church. And um, I have uh, we as Baptist churches go, uh, we've gone through several phases of, I say, transitions. One of them was the transition for Christian schools for a long time there. There was a big uh, what they called the Christian school movement. And uh, and basically that was just basically you put your kids in a some kind of Christian academy. And that was supposed to be the answer Raising up a good kid. Once you got them into that, and, and they—that's kind of fizzled and phased. When people said, "Well, it wasn't all that they thought it would be," um, and uh, the idea of uh, of uh, uh, age grading and and uh, and integrating out your children into Sunday school classes, and and uh, so that you know they get specific training for their age. A little bit what we're doing here, uh, but but uh, not on the scale that it was before where they, they, you know, they couldn't even be. Uh, they'd have Sunday school and, and uh, it almost took the responsibility of raising children out of the family's hands. And, but at the same time, I recognized the value that And I spoke with the young people this morning, and we just basically took the whole uh, 30, 40 minutes to explain to them that you know I'm not against um you know, youth rallies, in a sense, uh, the, the kids having fun, but I um, there are ch- churches in our area that promote, um, you know, joining with them and having a youth program with them. Um, just so you know, I'm not in favor of that. I don't promote that. Uh, one, it's not necessarily local church. Uh, two, I don't know about those kids, and I don't necessarily know all that the pastor teaches in the, in their churches. I don't know their standards. I don't know if they teach against rock music, against watching uh, videos and and TV, and all the other stuff. I don't know where they're at, and I don't I I, I don't want to uh, take a risk, I guess. And uh, when they get out there and say, well, you know. Uh, So-and-so, it's all right for them to do this and that. And I even asked them, I said, uh, I asked them for some feedback. I said some, and uh, one of them told me, I said, well, they've been to uh, some youth activities where the girls and boys were hugging. How many heard that? This is from our own kids. So what I'm saying to you, that's from their own own mouths. They're 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 telling you, yeah, they got some good things. There was some things, positive things they learned, but they seen some things, other things that weren't good. And uh, so uh, this afternoon we're gonna, I asked them if they'd like to meet together. We're gonna do try to do a family, um, um how do I want to say that, a family type. Meeting where we get together and have an activity with the family, not necessarily age grading out your kids. The kids are going to go uh, to a thing. Not that they can have fun. That they we're going to have fun as uh, you know, under the under. I think the uh, more proper way under the uh, guidance of families and and a part of that. So pray for us as we kind of go over that and say, we're going to try one and see how well it goes. Um, but um, just keep that in mind. We. There's reasons why your pastor doesn't do certain things. Is it? Am I totally right? I wouldn't say that. I'm just trying to do what I think is best. And uh, if I see problems, I try to address them and deal with them. If you take your Bible to turn to Luke chapter 24, I just want to take a few moments today to to look at some uh, uh, I think a a important uh, subject. he is asking yourself <clears throat> on, on, on the road that you're on, where is it leading you? Uh, is very important. We, I preached last Sunday on the necessities of life. And of course, uh, being in, in uh, what I mean by life is not what, uh, just the fact that you're living a, a life, a generic life, but a Christian life in the perfect will of God. And, uh, and if you'll remember, I spent the whole morning... Uh, talking about just about salvation, um, and you'd say well we 're all part of the body that doesn 't necessarily mean everyone 's saved, so I spent a lot of time just going over that that just because you are come to church, the, there needs to be some evidences of that and I mentioned the idea of subjection you know it 's not easy. Uh, Uh, Being a pastor and expecting people to be under your authority, not not uh, not like the dictatorial type of authority, but uh, where they're subject, they're willing to be subject to someone uh, having authority over them. And if if you're not aware of that scriptural teaching, it's in the book of Hebrews, chapter 13, um, that we are to be subject to those that God puts over us. It's always been that way. Uh, There's never been Lone Ranger. Uh, God just raises up individuals, and to not to lord over God's heritage, but to be an example, to be a guide. Um, So we looked at that. So there's subjection and there's that idea of love. There's two things that I think are one of the primary things you'll see in an individual that has repented and surrendered their life to the Lord Jesus. They're subject to authority. They understand authority. They appreciate authority. They love authority. And secondly, is the idea of love. Um, one of the things that that sets the the Christian apart is that we have the ability to love and to to be faithful and uh, loving good thing God's way. Um, it doesn't mean we condone sin. Love doesn't oversee. It uh, isn't blind to sin. Uh, but we deal with things that come along. We show mercy. All right, uh, should show compassion toward those that have. Uh, fallen away uh, and and have decided to turn their life back to the Lord. And uh, we show mercy, willingness to receive them and uh, uh, not hold whatever issue they had against them. Uh, That's that uh, willing to love, but uh, love is also uh, being strong that way. Uh, If you were here uh, uh, Wednesday night, I think Wednesday night, uh, talked about the necessity of power, the Christian life one of the things that is evident is that a person has the power of God upon their life it means being able to can be faithful and consistent and and determined by and also to see miracles happen in their life I think it's it's not unusual for a person that is living by faith uh, to see God do miraculous things in their life, in their family, in their marriage, in their kids, even in their church. And all they can do is say, God did that. I don't know how He did it, but God did that. God accomplished that. And to God be the glory, that, that somehow God worked out some some wonderful things. And, uh, and I mentioned the idea that that ability to forgive is, I think, a, an evidence of, of uh, the power of God. Um, you ever seen somebody just get angry at somebody else and just can't forgive? Ever been in that situation? You just just can't get over it. Can't get away from it. Yeah, they they say they're over it, but in their heart of hearts, they I'm not going to really get ever get close to that person because they hurt me. Um, when when evidence of the power of God is for someone to be able to say, by the grace of God, uh, and I've seen it happen where somebody that's at odds with somebody else they they, they asked for grace and, and those people became very, very close uh, as a result of the Lord working and the power to forgive. And uh, um, and also the idea that that primary is uh, that power of God in, the, in believing that, that we are the church that is going to communicate the gospel. You know, one of the hardest things is maintaining that desire to go out and win other people to the Lord Jesus. Uh, ever, ever since I've been a Christian, uh, I've seen this be the kind of the hardest thing for a church to maintain a focus on souls. And uh, and the power of God upon a church and an individual says, you know, I got, a, kind, of, I got kind of weak in that area, got kind of uh, careless in that area. I'm going to ask God to, uh, to forgive me and get back on the road to talking to people about the Lord and inviting people to uh, church and whatnot, and uh, again, that I believe is those necessities of life once you you think about it, once you lose your purpose of life, you know what is our purpose? what was the lord's purpose to win souls to save souls he still he's still focused that way. And, and, and we having a missionary come on the, on the 16th. You say, well, Egypt's so far away, Pastor, and you know we're just struggling to kind of make it happen here, and um, you know we've got things we need to do and money we need to spend on, and uh, you know, and those people over there, you know, they're, they're radical Muslims, and you know that part of the world's never going to change. Is that God's thinking? Not at all. This family that it, God has laid it in their heart to go back, and, it, and in our heart we ought to feel the same way. Say, "Wow, you know, we need to we need to get on board and and help them and encourage them, and and if the God has called them to go back, we you know that that's something that I think is a is a power of God uh, that we are just going to stay on track with what the Lord wants. Um, but I want <clears throat> to. I had a third part of this message that I really wanted to, and maybe I can get it next week, but the necessities of life are, are in the idea that, that there's a, a, a sense of rest, a sense of peace, a sense of contentment. Um, if you're not happy... Boy, I tell you what—if there's something that is one of the greatest motivations in Christianity, is the ability to be happy. I, I can I can tell you, as a part of necessity of life, you you ever had that time where you just really been undiscouraged? How many know what I'm talking about? And, and you just—you know, I can't stay there. And 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 as a and as a as a Christian. The Bible says the joy of the Lord in the book of Philippians is our strength. And I, I, that is a, a huge necessity of life. You and I have to have God's strength. You know, there's going to be persecutions. There's going to be things going on in your life. There's going to be difficulties and challenges and all kinds of difficulties. I mean, coming from every it can come from your children. It can come from friends. It can come from your spouse. Come from every different direction. But I'll tell you what: with the Lord Jesus Christ living and abiding in you, that's one thing the devil can never take away from you—is your joy. And and that is a, that is a necessity. If you have no joy in the Christian life. You think you're going to continue on? <laughs> Come on. Let's be realistic. If it's only misery and gloom and i got to do this and i got to do that and, and I can't have this and I can't have that and, and, and all you see is, the, is a sense of a negativeness in, in, in the Christian life, then what I'm saying to you, there must be something missing. I mean there is sorrow but the Bible says that joy comes in the morning. <laughs> you get you get so I want you to look with me as we look at this scripture together in um, in Luke chapter number 24. It probably depicts to me one of the how valuable and as important this is is to the Lord and it should be to us. If you'll take your Bibles and look with me in verse 13, we're going to read uh, uh, almost uh, through verse 35. It's very, I think, a very enlightening story that the Lord gives us shortly after His resurrection. The Bible says in verse 13, and if you'll stand with me as we read God's Word together, if you can. The Bible says, and behold two of them, and you have to go back to verse number 11 to know who He's talking about. He had, he had showed himself alive to the apostles and some others. And, uh, and in verse number 13, it says, And behold, two of them went that same day, the same day that he showed himself to the uh, people at the tomb, uh, the ladies, and also uh, uh, showed himself alive. The same day, the two of them went to the village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem about three score furlongs. They talked together and all these things which had happened. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were holding that they should not know him. And he said unto them, What manner of communication are these that you have one to another as you walk? And they're sad. And one of them, whose name was Cleophas, answered and said unto him, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem? Hast not known the things which are come to pass there in these days? And he said unto them, What things? And they said unto him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who, which was a prophet mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered Him to be condemned to death and have crucified Him. But we trusted that He had been He which should have redeemed Israel. And beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. Yea, certain women also of our company made us astonished which were early at the sepulcher. and When they found no not His body, they came saying, They have also seen a vision of angels which said that he was alive. And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulcher and found it even so, as the women had said, but him they saw not. And we'll read verse 25 and 26. And he said unto them, O fool. And slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter in to His glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank You. Lord Jesus, You're very much aware of Your children. You're aware of their demeanor. You're aware of their attitude, their spirit. And Father, if there's a sense of great Contentment and joy, or if there's just a sense of sadness, a sense of discouragement. Lord, you know that how valid and how very important it is, Father, for as believers that we have this necessity of life. We need the joy that, Father, comes from knowing you and living for you and serving you. And I pray that Father that we wouldn't allow our flesh or the world or the devil to somehow deceive us to thinking there's no reason to be joyous and rejoicing. I pray that you bless our time together today in Jesus' name. Amen. And have a seat. You'll see that. <clears throat> The Lord does provide everything that we need in order to have the joy of the Lord. He not only provides the necessities of life, which I think He provides for not only His people, but He provides for all people. We as God's people have a tendency to be able to really appreciate it and be thankful for it. And to live like God is taking care of us and is providing for us. When we look in verse eleven, that response that to Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and other women that were with them, which told these things, but in verse number eleven, after they had said this, they, their, their words seemed to them as idle tales; they believed them not. Didn't do any good. God provided something that should have brought hope and excitement and, and a sense of God's in control and and, uh, and uh, He's provided for us all that we need to be able to believe. You ask, you ask yourself today, where is the road that you're on leading you? It says here that the information that we get is that... Uh, Lord uh, catches up with these individuals and they're heading in the direction of a town, a little place called Emmaus. He even tells us how far away it is. We don't use the the measurements of furlongs today. But I did a little research finding out that a a furlong is about 660 feet. And 30 of uh, furlongs times is about seven and a half miles. If you think about it with me, what they had seen and what they would experienced that day was a resurrected Lord. They didn't get to see Him as the, as, the, as the evidence of it like others, but you'll notice that Peter ran to the sepulcher. I don't see the Lord condemning him for that. I see the evidence of when they returned and said, hey, it was just like they said it was. Somehow it didn't do those two individuals of one's name was Cleophas any good. The road you're on, ask yourself the question. If it's on the right road, if it's the road that God wants you to be on, it's not going to be a road of sadness. Or a sense of loss of hope or, or, or to the place that you don't really can see the evidence of God working in your life. I shared with the young people that I want them to be able to share how God is working in their life. And it ought to be for every Christian to say, I could give testimony this morning how God worked in my life this week. If God is working in your life this week or last week or or every week He should be able to, you ought to be able to say with all joy, I want to share how God is working in my life. The Bible says we're to be ready always to give an answer to the hope that is within us. And we ought to be able to say, you know, uh, uh, all around us people are of discontent. The government is shut down and uh, got all reasons for this and that. Why? Uh, I'm not sure about my job. I'm not sure about my health. I'm not sure about uh, my marriage. I'm not sure about this. But something inside says God is still on the throne. And I know He's there. Some people... Miss the whole purpose of the testimony of these individuals, how that when Jesus met with them, it's not like he says, uh, 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 when, when they asked him he says, uh, uh, Are you a stranger in Jerusalem? Don't you know what's going on? Now, how many of you think Jesus knew what was going on? Okay, that's a rhetorical thing. but he still went ahead and he asked him, he says, What things? <laughs> Remember I said you have to ask open-ended questions? He didn't ask a specifically a yes or no. He said, what thing? What happened? I want to know. Well, what, why do you think he wanted to know? Because it wasn't that he didn't know what went on. He wanted to get their perspective on what went on. He wanted to see their demonstration of their faith or the lack thereof. When he got done explaining to him. And these, by the way, I believe with all my heart, were believers. These were individuals that walked with the Lord, that were with the Lord. I don't know how long out of those three years that he ministered on the earth and his active ministry. But there's no doubt in my mind, they knew and walked with the Lord Jesus Christ. Problem is, is it gives a little bit of a of a heads up here in verse fifteen, and saying came to pass as while they communed what together. Now, I believe in fellowship. I and we're going to have fellowship after church today. I think it's I I you know one I, I've said this to many preachers. Anyone that'll listen to me, I, I can judge a lot of times the health of my church by how long people stay after church. The church, the church of service is over. I mean, it's, there's no more service. There's, uh, I mean, we've had singing and preaching and praying, and uh, but something some reason, people just hang out. Uh, they, they just want to hang out and talk to one another and visit with one another. Well, you know, I believe in fellowship, and I think it's vitally important. It's a good sign when I see people want to stay and visit with their church family and get to know one another a little better and, 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 and they feel a sense of encouragement and support when they stay behind because they know that God has given them this place to come and worship and fellowship. But Listen, that is not the basis of your Christianity. As a matter of fact, the key to that fellowship they really enjoy after the service, the key to that is how much of a relationship you have with your Savior. How much of a time that you spend in the Word of God and prayer and obedience to the Lord's command. Then, then when you get after the service, you, you want to be around other people that are doing the same thing. Because you're not finding that at work. You're not finding that with your neighbors. You're not finding that generally with your lost family. But boy, you get with those other folks in church and, hey, man, I'm interested in trying to be a better Christian and be a better father, be a better husband, be a better son or a brother. I want to be all that the Lord. And you get with other people that think like that because they want to do the same thing. The main thing you've got to recognize is that they commune together. As it says in verse fifteen, and reasoned. See that that doesn't that really doesn't do it. You know, having fellowship with other Christians and trying to get all your strength from there won't accomplish what needs to be done. One of the evidence of that is that when Jesus met up with them. And he asked me, he says, why are you walking together and you're, and you're heading in this direction and you're sad? You know, one of the evidences I think of, of somebody that has a, a life with the Lord Jesus Christ is there's, this, there's just this perpetual hope and joy that God is working in their midst. And they can see it, and they can feel it, and they can appreciate it. And, they, and, they, and no matter how difficult it may be, become, they, they sense God is working in their life. They reasoned, and listen, the reasoning together needs to be not just with one another. Our reasoning together needs to be with the Lord. Our communing needs not just one another, and our reasoning doesn't be with, just with one another. It needs to be with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why I encourage these young people. I say, you're going to give a testimony. I want to know. That's why I want to see where your devotions are. I want to see you coming to church. I want to see, and then I have a suspicion that you might have a walk with God, and you might be able to share with somebody else how that walk is and what that walk is doing. And so there was this communication and reasoning and sadness. I want you to look at. What they explained to our Lord in verses twenty nine or nineteen, I'm sorry. And they said unto him, What things? And they said unto him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet mighty indeed and word before the Lord and before all people. Your relationship, if it's on the right road, is one that knows Jesus not just as a mighty man you see him as your god you see jesus as the sustainer of your life if it wasn't for the lord i don't know where i'd be i don't know what i'd be doing you don't just see in the sense that he's not just a glorious person he is the life and giver of your life it ought to be when you get up in the morning you think about jesus as you go through the day you're thinking about jesus As you're communing with someone else at work, you're thinking about Jesus. If you're you're working with your children or with your spouse, you're thinking about Jesus. You're meeting with a lost person and you're thinking in your mind, how can I communicate Jesus? So Jesus just isn't a glorious individual, a prophet. He is the Lord and giver of life. You look at verse number 20 and he says, And how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him and condemned him to death and have him crucified him. You know what that says to me? Life is out of control. They seen what was happening as whoa, this was out of the room. Uh, the Lord didn't know what was going on and, and it was completely out of control. Listen, as your pastor, some of you live like God is not in control. You express yourself by your attitude and your spirit and, and your discouragement and and you, and you get under this black cloud like God is not in control. That's why Jesus says, what things? What are you talking about? Let me know what you, how you, what's your perspective on what just happened in Jerusalem. Any difficult situation you may be going through, I don't care how hard it is. It can be a marital problem. It can be your kids going haywire. It can be your finances are tanked. And God's going to say, what's your perspective on that? Is God, in my in control or not? If He is, you're glorifying God. You're saying, hey Lord, I know things aren't what, but I know you've allowed this in my life for a reason, and I thank you for it. And you're going to work this all out, I'm going to learn something, and you're going to get the glory. Because things are going to turn out right. So things were out of control. You look in verse twenty-one. Look in verse twenty-one. It says, "But we what trusted that it had been He, which was a redeemed Israel." beside all this, today is the third day. What now? The significance of that? He Jesus said, "What was going to happen on the third day? I'm going this grave is not going to hold me down." And so there's this out of control situation and inadequate faith. So I'm going to push it again. You don't have this Bible by accident. You got it? Some of you need to dust it off. Or some—I of like my kids. I say, you don't. Know, where's your devotion I don't know. I don't know. They give me a new devotional book every week. And some of you don't spend the time in this book to me. I'll just be honest. And I'll be honest. The, the idea that your pastor comes and preaches the word faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. Some of you, if that's the only place you get a little bit of faith, you are anemic. Because you don't get in the Word yourself. You'll find God's mind for yourself, and you'll study it for yourself. If you get it one time a week, you're weak. When he heard what their faith was like, and he gets down in verse twenty-five, he doesn't give them, he doesn't mince words. What's he saying? He says this to his his, uh, his beloved, "Old fools." you. I wouldn't take that too lightly if God called me a fool. Slow of heart to believe. So he tutors them. Get it? What he's saying, I'm going to take you personal time with you and I'm going to go from the beginning of this book, which was Genesis, to the book of Malachi. And I'm going to tell you all the places where I worked in this book. I'm going to tell you that we don't just have from Genesis to Malachi. We got the complete revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. So much so that, hey, those miracles that that Peter did and Paul did and those raising people from the dead. said, You don't need that no more. God's into healing and God will heal. We've seen God heal. But He's given us the book. And the book is a sustainer of our life and the ability to have faith without seeing. There's no reason for any Christian to be all down in the mouth. Down in the Spirit. It ought to be when we come together as believers, man, it ought to be one of Uh edifying experience and a blessing. And you say, wow, I can't wait to get back to church because, man, when I get back there, my brothers and sisters in the Lord, they're filled with faith and they're doing the will of God. And I'm excited to be around them. You come in and you say, oh, I hope I can get pumped up just because you ain't got nothing there to give anybody else. You're going to turn around and turn tail and say, boy, this church isn't a very good church. Problem isn't your church. The problem is you. And everybody wants to. Know, oh, my church's got to do it. My got to crank me up. When you come to church, you ought to be cranking people up. And if you ought to be cranking your pastor up. On that road to Emmaus, but we trusted. Oh, we. Well, you know what? God wasn't very impressed with their faith, was He? How many think God was impressed? The Lord Jesus was impressed with Cleophas and this individual's faith. I don't think He was impressed with it at all. He wouldn't have called them old fools, slow of heart to believe. And He wouldn't have taken the time to, to sit with them and, and, uh, and, and, and commune with them. So there's a little ignorance about the inadequate faith. But look in verse 22. Saying, yea, certain women also of our company made us astonished, which were early at the sepulchre. In verse 24, and certain of them which were with us went to the sepulchre and found us that even as it were. You know, once I look at that and I think some people think Christianity is a spectator sport. You just stand in the bleachers and watch. There, and it's been said, and i I don't know what it is here I don't take no percentages. you have a church of a hundred twenty people do the work twenty that's been said I don't know if that's this week we don't have a church of a hundred you know if you if you i i that was one of the things that I remember. In high school, I wanted to play football. I think I've told this story about telling you. I wanted to play high school football really bad. I was a scrawny little kid. I don't look scrawny now, but I was scrawny then. If I weighed 130, 40 pounds as a freshman, I don't think I weighed that much. I could see me out on the football. They'd run over me and flatten me like a pancake. But somehow I thought I could play football. And I went out. And I was going to play football. I mean, I had the old ragged jersey that they gave all the freshmen to wear—practice jersey. And They gave me one of those things you're supposed to put in your mouth so you don't bust your teeth off. I guess I'm not sure what what do you call those things—mouth guard. You had to wear one of them. I, I'm so excited. I put that mouth guard in and wore it home. I thought that was cool. I got home and Dad says, "You know, I can't take you every." Day to practice. We were nine miles out of town. I got a farm. I got I got livestock to feed. He says, I I want to take you, but I can't do that every night. Man, I tell you, my heart went out. And I say, Well, I guess you could just watch. You know, I I never I've never been a I, I like playing sports. You want to sit me back and watch it on the on the boob tube? I no, let me get out there and play. Christianity is not a spectator sport. If you just want to sit on the sidelines and watch you'd be the you listen you're going to be Mr. and Mrs. Miserable. Oh aren't they having fun? Yeah, I guess they are. Oh aren't they It's not a good thing they're doing at the church I mean I mean they're going to have, they're going to do that yeah that's a wonderful thing they're doing. It's when you get involved. How many know what I'm talking about? It's when you get, you expend yourself and you, you put your life into it and your heart into it and then you're invested. You look at these two men, it looks to me like they were playing the spectator. I would have been, I would think, how would, you, how much you think it would have been written if, if Cleopas had been, Peter and Cleopas ran to the cemetery to see if these things were sold. You think God would have been okay with that? How many think God would have been okay with that? I think he would have been, hey, go Cleopas, run! And maybe he would have outran Peter, I don't know. Well, we'll just see what Peter has to say when he gets back. See if that's the same thing the lady said. I don't see no heart. And I think that's part of the discussion that the Lord had with him. And he gets down to verse 25 through 26, and I think that if you've never been verbally chastised, we see it here. And he says, ought not Christ to have suffered and entered into these, these things and entered into His glory? Isn't that the way it's supposed to have be? been? Isn't that what I wrote? Isn't that what was in Isaiah? Isn't that what I told you before I left? Didn't you know that? And so he tutors them. And I want you to see the results of that little time with the Lord and His Word. They didn't know it was the Lord. Are you listening? They did not know it was the Lord Jesus that was with them. Verse number 27. Read along with me. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them all the Scriptures the same concerning himself. I remember the New Testament wasn't there. He's just talking about Jesus all through the Bible, and they drew nigh unto the village whither they went, and he made as though he would have gone further. He said, "Well, I maybe I, I, it's good talking to you guys. I enjoyed the time we had walking together." And what's the what's the response? Look at the response. But they did what? <laughs> Wait, you can't go? I mean, we're having a good time of fellowship here. We're learning some things. Our faith is being... And they constrained Him saying, Abide with us, for it is toward the evening and the day is is far spent. And He went in and He tarried with them. Just a little bit of encouragement. He said, Yeah, I guess I can stay. And it came to pass as He sat at meat with them. He took bread and He blessed it. And He broke it and He gave it to him. And look what happened. And their eyes were what? Opened and they knew Him. Wouldn't that be a heyday when Garfield Ridge comes to the place where people spend enough time in the Word of God. In their own personal time and obedience. All of a sudden they say, man, is God at work in my life. Is God wanting to work in our churches? Is the Lord wanting to work in my marriage and in my family? And, and 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 notice what it says. Verse 32. Maybe we ought to say this together. Let's participate. Verse 32. And they said one to another, did not our hearts burn within us while well, he talked with us by the way? And while he opened to us the scriptures? Did not our hearts burn within us? I mean, you think about it. They were excited about the Word of God. They were excited about the will of God. And I'll bet you anything, there wasn't no sadness in their heart. And you notice, we already know it was toward evening and the day was far spent. Well, our hearts burn within us. I guess. Wow, it's going to be hard to, to just kind of relax and go to bed. But you know, it, it's, it's the days about over. I guess we just got to retire. Is that what they did? How many know the rest of the story? Is that what they did? It says in verse thirty three, what they rose up the same hour. And returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven gathered together and them that were with them. And notice they didn't stop. (laughs) We got something to tell you. I mean, you went to the sepulcher and you seen where the Lord was, and and we had this testimony from them. Hey, you want to see what the Lord has done? The Lord is risen in what? Indeed. 34, and he says, The Lord appeared unto Simon. And they told what things were done in the way and how he was made known to them in the breaking of bread. Listen. Simply said, where's your road leading you? Where's your road leading you? Are you excited about the Lord? And you can't wait to share with others what the Lord is doing in your life. You're, going to share. You're excited about the Word of God and the will of God. You're excited about your church, about what God is doing in your midst. Are you ho-hum? Are you blasé? Are you sad? You know what I do? I'd change roads. I would. <laughs> you might want to change roads today. Hey, you know the road I on. I'm on. I'm not. I haven't got that faith. I don't have that encouragement. I don't. I don't seem to content or happy or at peace with this. Let me say something. Our Lord took time with these two individuals to say, "I'm, I'm going to set you on the right track." I'm going to turn you around. I'm going to send you back to Jerusalem. I'm going to get you with the other folks that are excited about the Lord Jesus. But don't get on the wrong road again. How many times do you think the Lord has to do that? Huh? Is that a once a week project? The Lord has to get with you and get you on the right road? Or does He somehow expect you to get on the right road and stay on the right road? When you look at this closing, fire produces fire. You ever tried to ever try to start a fire without fire? Huh? I've seen them try to do that. Rub two sticks together. <laughs> you might get things kind of warmed up, but boy, it's nice when you got fire, right? Right? I've seen people. <clears throat> I used to do this. They pour. They just pour on that uh, lighter fluid. They would put a match to it. Big flame for a little bit. I just get my torch out. I had one of those I had a acetylene oxygen tank, I don't have any more. I had a what they call a rosebud tip on it. And it was you could heat metal and bend it. And I put that rosebud tip on there and I just throw the grill over. I know that's not standard way of starting lighting the grill, but it worked. You know, I, I look at the Lord. He's feeling like that rosebud tip. He just puts a fire on it. You've got nothing else to do but burn. And when they got, when the Lord got done with, it, did not our hearts burn within us? It's a necessity of life, folks. If you're not spending the time that you need in God's book and prayer, you're not spending the time you need in obedience. God's telling you you're on the wrong road, and that wrong road—come on, right? Got that poochy lip Christian, right? Poochie lip. How's your Christian life doing? Nope. That's not the life I want. And even if a bunch of poochie lips do come around you, you can change things. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank You for this story. And I thank You, Father, that as far as